Hi there, listeners. Uh, welcome to this edition of the Institute for Social Justice podcast here at York St. John. Uh, my name is Steve Roll. I'm an associate professor in media production here at York St. John, uh, and I'm going to be talking with uh, one of my colleagues on the Cinema and Social Justice project this afternoon. Um, uh, and I'm here with uh, with Martin Hall. So, Martin, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, yes, I'm Martin Hall. I'm a senior lecturer and I'm the course leader for film studies here at YSJ. And uh, with Lauren Stevenson, another senior lecturer in the film studies programme, we set up the Cinema and Social Justice Project. One of the things we did was made a film. And, Steve, that's where you come in. We made it together. Uh, we did, yes. Um, so... We're going to have a bit of a chat about the Cinema and Social Justice Project. Uh, we're going to talk about Cinema and Social Justice filmmaking. It's a little bit of a mouthful, but it's a, a sort of spin-off part of the project um, that has uh, brought the film into it. And uh, the film's very exciting. It's very exciting in terms of the messaging it's sending. And, and we'll talk a bit about how we're going to get that out to audiences. So uh, I'm going to throw over to you now, uh, Martin. So let's let's talk first about the project itself um because you and lauren uh lauren stevenson conceived the project um first uh before i came on board so do you want to talk a bit about uh, how the project was conceived how it came about what the triggers you know what was what was your thinking about getting this going yeah definitely i think one of the funny things really is that it came about as a sort of rationalizing what we do for a living because i think a lot of the things we do come from that it's on spirit. the way so lauren and i were talking about film studies um, level so um we look there's a study of humanities report and forgive me for not getting the numbers absolutely accurate but people studying the humanities at university level has gone down from almost 30% to about 8 to 10% these days since, I think, the 1960s. So we were looking at that, thinking, well, why has that happened? What's going on there? And as film studies is part of the humanities, we were sort of concerned and interested in trying to bolster that. So our Cinema and Social Justice project came out of that kind of concern, I guess. And we, Lauren and I, in a kind of jest, asked ourselves what, what can film do because um, evidently you know we're quite biased we think film can do a bit of everything and anything and it's really good for study and everything else but um so we said um could film solve the big problems in the world you know it's kind of silly question really but it set us off on this uh, journey to say it. but what problems can film solve or really what is the power of film in say solving those problems and social justice or social injustice really was the first thing that we started to discuss we were talking about homelessness in the cinema we were talking about class divide we were talking about gender representation we were talking about trans lives matter we were talking about black lives matter and if you want to teach those lessons uh, trans lives matter how do we get involved in that is will you know one of the best ways in is to watch films that engage with those messages so you know we had this what can film do um, and then how do we share our message that film can do a bit of everything um, so we uh, started a blog which we'll talk more about we've got um, some time we're spending with FE with colleges um, discussing the significance of film as a kind of educational discipline we also made a film I, and I should say we keep saying made a film but uh, we commissioned a film I suppose is the right word with our partners at the YFA and the NEFA the Yorkshire Film Archive and the North East Film Archive they made the film we commissioned it and we're using that film as an educational tool we're using it on the festival circuit we're looking at addressing uh, students non-specialist audiences specialist audiences in a sense like festival going audiences there's a sense there that we're sort of preaching to the choir People at festivals generally, I would presume, get the sense that film is effective as a tool for education. Um, so really, it's quite a 
a very tall order. It's a very broad project that with which we're trying to kind of do a bit of everything. Um, and then obviously, Steve, with you being a, a media production person, associate professor thereof, we came to you thinking, look, let's let's try and produce some film and um, put into it one of the messages we want to engage with. And for us, that was the cost of living. It just felt so prescient, so timely. So that's kind of where we are now. The blog's on the go, the film's on the go, education's on the go, and there's a few other bits and bobs as well. Quite a lot to unpack there, isn't oh, there? Oh, too much, yeah, um, sorry. And it, I suppose it's worth thinking, you kind of mentioned that at the first point, it's sort of a sense of justifying what we do, mm. of uh, the defense of our discipline. Oh, yeah. Um, that is as much as as I'm I'm teaching we're teaching in different departments across across media and media production um, we are still part of the same discipline we're part of the same subject centers we're part of the same uh, research excellence framework submission that there is no distinction about that so we feel this sense of being under attack and having to justify what we do uh, the government with uh, Gavin Williamson as education secretary cuts uh, funding to media studies courses. There's a cultural prejudice against um, those kind of courses that are inherently classist, that nobody would ever ask us to defend studying 400-year-old books that uh, potentially, I'm sure people would have real issues with me saying this, <laughs> don't really say anything about the way people live their lives now. Yeah. Um, but there would never be a question. We would never feel that we had to and although colleagues at other universities uh, would also feel this this way that they have to feel that defend their disciplines in similar ways but on a, a a classist level we're continually in this argument to defend film studies or media studies or um something so central to our everyday moment by moment um lives um listeners be aware uh, media is everywhere and so much is mediated but we always have to defend our discipline I think the major shock for me came you referred to Gavin Williamson's government when he was educational secretary secretary um, cutting funding by I think around 50% as well so it's a fair a fair cut it came right after the major lockdown that we had here in the UK and I just kind of thought the irony in that is bizarre because what did everybody do during lockdown but uh, turned to media. I mean, you know, streaming platforms went through the roof. Um, it, you know, people using social gaming as the only socializing aspect of their lives. Uh, Zoom teams for education, for communication. This is all a big part, that kind of screen studies that we both work in. It was such an important period for those media, those artifacts in a sense. And then to come straight back out of that and hear people saying it's not significant enough was a real shock. Low quality. Mm. Um, particularly in scenarios where teaching somewhere like York St. John, where students come in from uh, lower quartile socioeconomic groups. Um, and there is demand to study media, but somehow the course is low quality because students from lower social economic backgrounds are not able to access the kind of higher salaries that justify high quality teaching. Even though nobody has any idea what happens in any classroom uh, looks at there is no there's no Ofsted um, for universities in that regard um, it's it's a very different kind of assessment but we are determined to be low quality just purely determined on our subject matter mm, yeah and it is in a response to that that we, we're saying then okay let's champion film studies for us in particular you know and the I'm a 
cost leader for film studies here and media and communication as a media study. But we were just looking at film studies in particular, saying, well, you know, if that's the perception politically, generally, um, objectively, why is that the case and how can we, dare I say, fix that or address that? And so we go, okay, film studies is important. Let's share that message. And this is where cinema and social justice came from. Social justice is so important. Let's use cinema to explore that. And how is how is social justice embedded in, in your research? And personally, in my own research, um, I'm really interested at the minute in um, transnational cinemas. It's something I'm doing a fair bit of work with. Um, and I'm also working on uh, European languages in particular, the polyglot filmmakers, and this idea of um, justice. It comes in in a big way with work on people like Agnes Varda and the Belgian filmmakers, the Dardenne brothers. One of the things I'm working on at the moment for a conference paper in particular is... Um, Filmmakers who began, or certainly didn't just begin, but work as documentarians and fil feature filmmakers. The idea that the documentary filmmaking language is more suited to social justice messages, I think is um, well accepted. Um, but getting social justice messages through feature cinema is something that we see, um, not that we see less often, but people are sort of less ready to accept or believe or, or kind of receive. So the work I'm doing at the minute with Agnes Varder and the Diadem Brothers looks at it starts from the position of why is it that, because if I ask an audience, okay, you want to learn, let's say, translates matter, let's learn ecological justice, something like that. Um, could you think of a film that might engage with that? Everybody goes to documentary generally. And there's this great, you know, inconvenient truth or, or what have you that deals with notions of justice. Um, sorry, with notions of justice. So the question then for me was, well, you know, why don't we immediately think of feature cinema? Is it because... I think it's partly this kind of, it's positioned as just entertainment and that just entertainment um, devalues it in a sense or people perceive it's devalued in terms of its potentially radical messages. So, you know, back to the question, my own research at the minute, I'm looking at how documentary filmmakers who make feature films embed that documentary filmmaking language, style, approach, understanding into feature cinema and are perhaps more adept at sharing social justice messages. I don't know how true it is. Um, you know, I'm, I would like to champion the fact that all films have some kind of message for sure and social justice doesn't just come through documentary but it does also come through in um, feature cinema as well But this is something that it's kind of the point you start saying, isn't it? That there's a certain sense of um, not quite justifying what we do but making something that we, we do whenever we research and whenever we uh, publish work um, that is implicit there, which is the social justice aspect. But I suppose for, 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 for Lauren and I, Lauren's a horror film scholar, I'm a, um, currently a, a scholar of transnational monsters, that, that feels a long way away from social justice. But Lauren would obviously argue that horror scholarship is, is absolutely central um, to social justice issues in terms of gender equality, recognition for um, differences of uh, uh, LGBT, uh, Q plus um, uh, practitioners and representation and and for me monstrosity is 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 part of that but also the the, the films I look at um, are deeply embedded with messages of peaceful coexistence um, anti nuclear proliferation uh, and at the moment um, ecological justice 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you made the point about Lauren's research. And I think we often give the example of um, Attack the Block, which for Lauren, you know, it's a supernatural horror movie. But her point has always been that it's really a message of class. And it's about the tower block and this stratified hierarchy of society. And one of the things we discussed is, um, yes, if documentary is the one that's more readily accepted as the site of social justice message. But we certainly believe it's feature film. Which type of cinema is more likely to attract a larger audience? Um, and for shame, it is certainly feature film. So, you know, are people more likely going to watch a documentary about class structures in high-rise um, flats and, and whatnot? Or would they rather watch this kind of supernatural horror thriller with that message involved as well? So if we can, in terms of education, give people the toolkit to see films like that and read the social justice message as well, the power would technically, I guess, be more augmented in that kind of film work. Like you're saying about Godzilla, you know, watching Godzilla is a really great kaiju monster movie, but also it's about nuclear proliferation. Mm. We need people to be able to pick up on both sides of that coin, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's, that's, that's huge. <laughs> um, and it's there, and it's, it's making these, these kind of things um, explicit rather than implicit. In, in terms of that and of course there's a suggestion in, in terms of social justice of not not just social justice messaging but social justice activity um do you want to talk a bit about um the the blog in the project that uh you have a number of scholars contributing to at the moment yeah oh absolutely the blog's fun i think it started as a blog <clears throat> but the idea that Lauren and I had conceived of it was that it would be a uh, resource. Blog seems the most straightforward way to a approach that and achieve that at the moment. And um, there's something a little bit exclusionary about um, academic writing. You know, we thought about doing an edited volume or something, and we certainly consider that at some point. But at this stage, we want it to be quite accessible material. So we launched this blog, which is just on the cinemajustice.org website. A little plug there. Um, and so we've got scholars from um, universities in all over the world at the moment who are lined up to do work with us. We've had people from YSJ, Matthew Payton, who's the uh, intern for the Institute for Social Justice, has been involved with us. Carolina Oliveira has done some really great stuff about third cinema. We had Charlotte Curl, a PhD student, um, doing some work on promising young women and basically about uh, gender-based violence in the cinema. We've got some stuff coming about uh, Miles Davis as a film scorer um, and three or four of us articles lined up at the moment so it's in its early stages but the idea was we're going to go out to FE with the film we're going to discuss in a minute or two um, and uh, we really wanted to discuss the potential of embedding film study more uh, readily into the curriculum so there's that kind of discussion of policy and trying to open up access in a sense to these things because there's plenty of well not plenty but there's some academic work on this kind of world of social justice messages in the cinema but you know they're behind journal paywalls and things like that and I think there's something about the spirit of blogging yes you know it might not be thoroughly fully peer-reviewed and all that kind of academic ref stuff but the idea of it being readily accessible and just there um, and it's a blog so it's written in that in that in that way you know so it's more accessible in terms of what's written as well not literally it's easy to get to because it's just on the web but also the way it's read so we see this this kind of work as accessible for fe level students fe level um teachers uh, he level non-specialist audiences public audiences as well but the point was we wanted a website where if we are trying to tell people that you should be using cinema to teach social justice issues, um, here's a link. Here you can find 
a bunch of articles about different films and different types of social justice issue. It's a partnership project where we've got um, a research assistant as part of the Cinema and Social Justice Project at the moment, working on a, a resource of more academic literature. So we're making, a, an, in essence, a reading list of the books that engage with these ideas. And we're categorizing it in a series of different ways. Like These books are about black lives. These books are about... Um, you know, socioeconomically disadvantaged people in the cinema, you know, this kind of idea. And then we want it to be, a, again, like a resource that you can filter through by filmmaker, by decade, by genre, by issue as well. And as part of that, we want to produce some of our own work on the blog that will be kind of partnered with that resource. And we want to get that out into education and say, if we're going to get you teaching social justice, here's some great resources you can choose this film we've got a wonderful article about it by you know dr oliviera here's a source a secondary sort of source a textbook where somebody engages with third cinema there's your lesson plan you know that to make it easy for people to embed this stuff yeah and hopefully a sense that these filter into curricula that there is um i think one of the things we've spoken about right at the the inception of the project is is how uh and apologies to to um fellow film teachers out there how crushingly unimaginative our <laughs> curricula can often be oh, yeah. um hitchcock again mm. scorsese again um david lean again <laughs> um uh, just these kind of same men over and over and over and over again i think did the stats say the the one the one filmmaker of color was spike lee yeah um it's the one female filmmaker was lenny riefenstahl yeah there's two two female filmmakers in the top 50 yeah. one of which is lenny riefenstahl who's problematic for other um reasons and uh, jane campion was there too mm -hmm. but two women one person of color mostly men and then so there's this organization in the u.s called open syllabus where they collect this information and you can do this kind of filtering exercise and like Hitchcock, as you say, he is the most set filmmaker in um, film studies generally. And that phrase film studies goes across lots of different disciplines, really. Um, courses at FE level on a global scale. It's, so they get information from university level syllabi, 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 I'm going syllabi, from across the world and they, they collate it so you can filter it. And one of the things that's interesting, I think, to me is not just that Hitchcock's the most set, but Hitchcock also has the largest number of films on those syllabi also. So Spike Lee's on there, but guess which film's the one that gets set all the time? He's setting Do the Right Thing and maybe a little bit of Black Klansman. Whereas Hitchcock's on there, and there's like 30 different films that are mm -hmm. being set. Lenny Riefenstahl's on that list, but it's Triumph of the Will. Yeah. You know, Jane Campion's on that list, and it's, it's piano. So what's interesting is not just the lack of diversity in that list, but also in terms of what's being set. So rightly so, as you say, our database, our resource, hopefully will, I mean, it's a slow game, but it's a game that needs to start. Filter through that and start to diversify those lists. And we and we we've we've seen some movement, haven't we? That 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 critics list for the sight and sound poll this year, um, that puts uh, John Dillman by uh, Chantal Ackerman uh, at number one ahead of Vertigo, still number two. Yeah. Um, and then what I think, uh, Beau Travail is in the top ten. Yeah, Claire, Claire Denis up there. Um, uh, but I mean, Chloe five to seven is in the top fifteen. Yeah, Varda. Agnes Varda. I mean, um, Celine Siamas at number thirty with mm. Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is such a recent film as well. And it's not just a film by a woman; it's a film about a queer relationship between two women. So it's so much more than that, and it's really great to see films like that in such a big. I mean, the sight and sound polls every ten years; it's a big deal poll. Um, they ask quite a lot of critics to give their top tens, and they they come up with this list, and it's really interesting to see that shift. Yeah, and I I, I saw a lot of activism by scholars, particularly who were publishing their lists, 
and aiming to 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 challenge some of the accepted um, canon um, around which which films we were setting, um, how are we approaching those films, who are we celebrating now? Because of course, uh, while we're while we're celebrating. Uh, those female filmmakers in the list, somebody like Roman Polanski has dropped off it. Yeah. Um, so we're we're revising what that is, and 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 making choices. Of, you know, because of course the poll is is something on of its own, an act of self of, of social justice, to recognise those filmmakers that that previously, uh, we've in some sense as well been been complicit in making those choices that marginalise those filmmakers, marginalise those voices, mm. and marginalise those messages. Yeah. So one of the things that I was thinking about on a really basic level for us as educators at universities is our graduate outcomes. You know, we want students to spend three years with us and come out of this university with a certain list of attributes and abilities and skills and knowledges. And if we're producing students who come out giving it all, you know, Hitchcock's amazing, he's the best, let's, you know, champion this filmmaker, this filmmaker, you know, we have a responsibility to make sure that their toolkit of filmmakers and films is as diverse as it can be um so you're right that's why that curriculum needs that because this sight and sound poll has shifted because people are coming out i mean it's not all people with film studies degrees let's not be blind yeah. I, obviously it's film critics and people who could vote have to just be a registered critic and and well written you know people were invited well, it's, it's not just anybody it's worth mentioning as well that the filmmaker poll mm. is a separate poll and it does not have a female filmmaker it's still it's still yeah. hitchcock wells kubrick there's yeah, not much Ozu, movement there. Yeah, down the end there with Tokyo Story. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't really change. So, you know, who who is whose perceptions are changing? Who has the power to influence that? You know, should we be exercising that power? I th certainly think so. I don't like the, the kind of notion of it as kind of exercising a power, but really more of a responsibility we have hmm. to do well by our students. We, we, we play an important role as curators. Hmm. Um, That's a good word. To help bring we don't try to shape our students tastes but we do want to make sure our students are exposed to a broader range of cinema than is available on netflix disney plus um and the streamers who are doing much more algorithmically to keep students within and and audiences in general within a small bubble of their mm. own taste yeah. and keep them hooked in in terms of time and those those broader films um and many of those films on on the sight and sound list you can't watch on those mainstream yeah. streaming sites there's an accessibility question i mean the bfi player of course have a big portion of the list on there but the bfi who also run the sight and sound poll you know naturally they're gonna uh, champion that but you're right you know watch try and watch a chantal ackerman film on netflix you're gonna be upset i mean i don't think there's any vada on there is there any celine siama on there she's much more kind of I wouldn't want to say populist, but much more accessible. You've got your movies, you've got your BFI players, there's the Criterion channel, but not in the UK. But then in addition, the thing that fascinates me, and I talk about it with our students quite a lot, is how expensive it is to have all of those platforms. And in and of itself, that's a, a kind of um, an access issue, isn't it? You know, it's, it's particularly classist to say, if you want a complete knowledge, not complete, but a rounded knowledge of cinema, you need to spend this much money. Yeah. So, and who can't spend that much money? People who don't have it, you know, this kind of big social justice issue is such a foundational issue with things like cinema and what messages are they missing out on? How amazing is Jean Dielman? How amazing is that film for students to see? I would love for more people to watch it. You know, language accessibility um, beside, you know, if you can't even see it, you know, what messages are these people missing out on?
You know, if film has this enormous power that I think it has to tell us trans lives matter, black lives matter, all this really interesting and important stuff, if you can't access that message, you're not going to receive it. Yeah. So access is another thing. So if we get onto the film, actually, one of the things I'm quite excited to talk about is, a, is this program called Interfilm Plus, which is a educational, it's geolocked, which is a phrase I had to look up. I don't know about <laughs> you, which means you can, only, you can only watch it in certain locations. Physical spaces, right? Yeah. Geographically IP addresses locked. matter. Yeah. Which I really liked. It's a really great idea. But it's geolocks to educational settings, which is amazing. Um, and they're putting our film on that platform. And some of the stuff on there is phenomenal. But platforms like that are doing such great work to give access to students because it's, it's free to students to watch in an educational environment. So, you know, I'd love for it to be not geolocked, but then this is a big problem, isn't it? And, and they're all charity funded and what these people are doing, they do such great work and... It feels like we're swimming against that Gavin Williamson current still in that sense, even though he's no longer the educational secretary at the moment. Yeah. Although if we are swimming upstream, which is very <laughs> quickly to go back to Netflix, is Netflix are helping create conditions where many audiences are now much more used to subtitles. That's good. Netflix are very good at curating global material. It's a bit kind of generalized for, um, for international audiences, but you know you can watch really strong Indian horror films, mm. say, on there, or uh, South Korean content. So the groundwork is being laid for a generation, particularly young people who are much more used to subtitles. Mm. Yeah, oh yeah, let's plug something like Luther as well. Sorry, not Luther, what am I thinking of here? Lupin on yeah. Netflix, which is the Omar Sy um, show, and Family Business, and Call My Agent. There's great French stuff on there, Korean stuff on there. You need some amazing stuff on Netflix now, don't get me wrong. But uh, and the problem is, what's the answer to the question? And I, I don't know what the answer is. The answer really, you know, in this kind of idealistic world, is a platform that has everything on it. But there's a kind of full circle feeling for me. Like, isn't that what cable television was? Isn't that what Sky Television wanted to be a couple of decades ago? But now, you know, we, are we going to get some kind of an amalgamated streaming package deal where you can spend some inordinate amount of money and have a bit of everything? You know, it's it, what the answer is, I don't know, but it's certainly a problem. Uh, it's still not going to have any Usman Sambeni films on there. <laughs> of course not. Um, so let's let's start to talk about uh, the film um, that the project's commissioned from the Ultra Film Archive, uh, which is called Cost of Living. Um, I think we can, uh, we can take a listen to the trailer. High unemployment, poor housing and rising crime mean that frustration and anger are never far below the surface. I'm fed up with a lot of them. None of the parties seem to do anything for people like me. There's 15 people after one job, so it's not worth looking for one now, is it? If I can get one. And when you look at the conditions down here, they're not fit for animals, never mind human beings. The government seemed to produce this consultative document, but say, well, sorry, you know, we're not going to implement it now. We went through every item on which we could economise and decided that this was one of them. I think a lot of the problems that we have to face at the moment are to do with the breakdown that we've seen in community life. Because with the prices going up, you just, you just can't cope. I can't budget any more than I'm doing. Having no home means sacrificing relationships. In fact, a loss of identity. We presumably see this as uh, a victory for the, for the ordinary man and woman against bureaucracy. Uh, justice, I think, is a better word. So that's the trailer for Cost of Living. That's a film that's been commissioned by the Cinema and Social Justice Project uh, and made by the Yorkshire Film Archive and North East Film Archive 
produced by Graham Relton and edited by Andy Burns. Um, so this is something, this is sort of the point where I really came to the, the Cinema and Social Justice Project, which is where it becomes cinema and social justice filmmaking. <laughs> um, so you were already talking to Graham about the film uh, when I got involved. So mm -hmm. how, did, how did the discussion start about making a film? The discussion started because um, we work with the YFA on campus. I, I like to embed their archival work into education because it's so important. They've made a lot of films and they made a couple in particular that really resonated with my students, Born a Rebel um, and Lost Connections, which were both just phenomenal films. And in essence, I saw those films, well, Graham showed them to us, and I said, what a powerful medium, what a great way to employ that kind of visual storytelling language to take archival footage from an archive that have wide ranging material from amateur footage, you know, people move into a house and find a suitcase full of 60 millimeter film and donate it to the archive. They keep it, they restore it, they look after it, they digitize it to, you know, TV adverts from local businesses. There's a lot of Nestle stuff, um, news footage and things like that. And, and to, what they do, what Andy Burns and Graham have done together, Graham Relton, is to use that information and curate a message through this kind of diverse material. And their message for, you know, Born a Rebel was about um, the centenary of the women's vote. Um, and then Lost Connections was a best kind of, not really a COVID film so much as a kind of distance, social distance film. And it was the Lost Connections film that resonated with me on a social justice level. I said to Graham, what a great way to share this message we should do something in this social justice vein. Um, I spoke to you about it, and um, you were aware of the Sign Network, or the Sign People. Do you want to talk about Sign? Yeah, so Sign, Sign the Screen Industries Growth Network. They're a, a, a coalition of universities, Screen Yorkshire, the local uh, industry um, kind of board. I mean, they, they're a private company, but they used to be a publicly owned uh, kind of cultural industries board. Um, industries across the region and their remit is really um it's quite simple it's it's about making sure that we have sustainable uh employment in film television games journalism throughout our region as, as somebody who educates and has been doing for a long time um film and tv production students and journalists most of the jobs for those still remain in london so part of the regionalization of film and television industries and screen industries more generally is is about bringing jobs up here making sure that our best and brightest stay in the region that we bring investment to the region you know and that in itself is a social justice uh agenda about decentralization from from london um which is still the big pull and screen yorkshire do an amazing job of of, of, of bringing the universities together sign is led from from university of york um, uh, kind of an aside to their XR Stories project. But one of the streams there is equality and diversity. Film and television, for all some of the things we're talking about, is, is, is an astoundingly um, undiverse industry. Um, class is a big uh, barrier for people, um, which, of course, disenfranchises many social groups. Representation has for a long time been very non-diverse um but is further along than employment um and and sign of shared many um 
upsetting and surprising stories um, of, of people's experience within the industry. So Sign is looking at how those industries can be diversified regionally, but also diversified in terms of the makeup of uh, uh, the, the workforce, um, which we trust as well as film studies practitioners. We know there's a relationship between really representation behind the camera and what's in front of the camera. Um, so Sign um, have pots of money available for projects across the region. Um, and we had the uh, possibility to bid for up to about £30,000 um, to develop the project, which is where we started thinking about the remit for filmmaking within this. Mm. What um, was, why don't you yeah. tell us a little bit about the uh, competition we're going to do using the film at FE? Yeah. So this is the longer trajectory of it, mm. isn't it? I suppose maybe we're going to talk about how we want to get the film out to, to schools first as, sure. as a kind of educational project. Because mm. we've now that we've made the film and the film is... I think it's. I think we can say the film's really good. <laughs> um, Graham and Andy did an amazing job of putting this film together, and um, and they put it together pretty quickly as well. Um, and we we had lots of meetings um, to talk about how we might improve it, mm. but I don't think we came up with any significant ways of actually improving the film. Yeah. Um, it was such a good job, and I think once we started talking about improving it the materials to improve it in those ways actually didn't exist so we're working with a finite resource we're not like it's not like a um a different kind of film project we can go out and shoot more material if if, if the material's not in the archive uh we can't work with it we might talk a little bit about that as we go so now we want to get the films the film into schools um and we are we're working with schools at the moment aren't we to set up a series of workshops um to go in as a kind of critical intervention we want to look at how film makes a difference. This is the sort of targeted response, isn't it? I guess the 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 blog response is resources is is maybe little less distinct than this. So here we, it's about targeted interventions about the power of film and film as a way of making a difference to people's lives. And out of those workshops as well, we want to run, which is the longer kind of phase of of the sign funding. We want to inspire people to make films, not just to listen and watch the story that, that we've curated uh, or the other stories that exist in features or short films or documentaries or television series, um, but start to tell their own stories um, because those voices, uh, particularly in, in something like the Yorkshire Film Archive, which is full of mid to, mid to late 20th century footage uh, shot by lots of straight white middle-class men um, but to actually start to diversify the archive with those stories from now and the social justice issues that, that really mean something um, to the students um, that we are talking to as part of the project. Yeah I think that's really important as well and obviously the archive has these you know we, we could call them gaps but not through um, fault of anybody's um, and we want to identify those. One of the things you, uh, we had a discussion about was the genre of the film or 
the category of the film because we was is it a documentary is it an experimental film is it a piece of poetic cinema um it's definitely not feature for sure um and we've been talking just a moment ago about the difference between documentaries and features and the power the power of features so one of the things we talked about doing in terms of getting this out is showing it alongside a feature not literally at the same time as a feature that would be quite experimental wouldn't it (laughs) but before we watch a feature film and and really curate that feature film something like rocks something like fish tank maybe something even like i daniel blake um that deals with it basically because it's dealing with similar socioeconomic disadvantage and those similar issues. So cost of living, of course, you pick up from the trailer and a little bit from what we said is about various issues of the cost of living crisis or crises over time from as early as I think the 40s and the 50s right up to um, as recent as the 90s in that footage and then certainly a, a very powerful resonance for today. In the film, you see the price of petrol increasing, you see the price of groceries being too expensive, you see the cost of heating homes on the increase, making it difficult for people to live. You know, lots of things we've seen before, homelessness, um, difficulties for leisure and young people. Patronising government uh, <laughs> representatives telling you how you can uh, buy new light bulbs. Yeah, abs- Not absolutely Not quite happens. kettles, but light bulbs this time. Yeah, and, and you know, this sense of what is the film, what can it do? I think that's why it dials in so neatly into filmmaking and saying, if we're going to go around saying, you know, film's one of the best ways to learn these great messages, what better than to have there be more films that deal with these messages, you know? So if we can inspire people to get into the industry, where sign come in, that screen industry growth network, if we can help the industry grow, everybody wins. Uh, completely. I, and I think one of the the difficulties you mentioned the genre of film mm. uh, graham's quite clear about it as well it's not a documentary no um it's also not completely an experimental film but i think one of the things that we've started to understand from from the screenings we've had already is that uh, firstly that the story is incredibly resonant that we're starting as we've been working on this film i think we we have the sort of reticence that have we done something that could potentially be exploitative um, but we, we're not looking at commercial gain here. We, we want to, um, to talk about the issues in the film and how film can, can help us access, so I guess access the past in, in some regards, but when the past looks so much like now and now looks so much like the past, um, like I'm coming into work today and, and, and I'm, I'm past the RMT workers at the station, you know, we've got those images in the film, um, that I'm, I'm hearing the same things from people on the television every night that are in the film. Um, that as we've shown it, to, shown it to some audiences as well, they've they've recognised places in the film. Mm. They've they've recognised voices. They've recognised campaigns. Um, the what this footage of the the take back the night uh, marches in mm. there as well. Things like Saint John's Crypt in in yeah. uh, Leeds for homelessness. Mm-hmm. Lots of the northeast as well. Um, Bladen and places like that, that kind of um, council housing development where they were knocking down terraces and putting up the flats and yeah. the effect of loneliness on the people who were moved into those, the isolation, the removal from society, big mm. part of it. This is interesting. Yeah, it's sort of, it's, it's, it's depressing in its circularity, <laughs> but those are conversations we want to have around mm. the film and the ways that film accesses those memories and, um, and hopefully stimulates um, further activity on the part of, of viewers further discussion further thinking um and one of the things that um i think is has become unintended about the film i think is 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 something is that i don't think we anticipated 
and it's it's part of you know, having such a, a, a good production team on the film and, and the film coming out uh, as, as good as it has is that I don't think we anticipated the amount of interest there is in the film being screened. Yeah, absolutely. When you said, like, it's a really great film, I do think we can say that. I really think we ought to say that because it's true. But I wasn't surprised that it was a good film. Mm. But what I was surprised is how well received it was. So we had a big premiere launch um, at the York St. John campus, but we also were picked up by a couple of film festivals just based on a few conversations. So we were shown at Manchester Kino, which is... um, we were shown in the Made Up North panel there. So obviously there's a regionality to it, but we got um, a special men- mention in the Audience Awards, which is the sort of second place award for films made in, in well, Made Up North and whatever that means, because it's quite colloquial and it certainly includes quite a lot. Um, we were also shown at the Bristol, Bristol Radical Film Festival because the film really is a potentially quite radical piece of um, quite politicized message. Um, you know, quite deliberately, but um, that's another discussion, really. Mm. But I'm quite interested in, you know, certainly the festival circuit's been something we're looking at at the moment. So we've submitted it to quite a few festivals. We did a follow-on bid for funding because there was such a hunger for the film, unbeknownst to us. That's the surprise of it, the hunger. So we've we've gone, okay, well, let's put it in some places. And so we've got some festivals lined up and it'd be really great to see that kind of public response coming through. And this is sort of underlying research thing. I mean, we mm. haven't really talked about research, but this is a research project that of course. the film is a means to access um, data about the impact of mm. this particular piece of work and, and, and the impact it's having on different audiences that we have a, an educational audience, we potentially have a student audience in higher education, we have more general and more specialist audiences that, that we're able to access through the film. So part of having a festival run for it um, isn't isn't for us about uh, uh, laurels and awards. Um, it's about accessing audiences who can help us understand the impacts of film to discuss or uh, raise, uh, it's a horrible phrase, raise awareness um, of social justice issues and potentially out into action. Um, and having a festival run across 2023, I mean, fingers crossed, uh, yeah. Uh, Harrogate Film Festival, which is, is, is the first one listening. that's going <laughs> to uh, uh, tell us whether we're in or not, um, is a way of us um, developing the data around the project and, mm. and the, the, the research that underlies this. We were really lucky to be able to work with Theresa Heath as well from uh, London. She's working on some, she's done a lot of festival research work in her academic past. And so she's a a research assistant, a postdoctoral research assistant on the project now. And as you say, with the festival circuit, one of the things we're going to do is survey the audience in some way um, and then do some data analysis of that and discuss how, you know, whether the film, our film, our little film that has come out of nowhere and done so well, has that power and ability to affect change, raise awareness in your words, um, you know, how aware are people of these issues, how um, affected are they by them, both before and after watching the film, does the film encourage people to be more active, to seek change, or, you know, because one of the things we really hope with this stuff is that these films, not just ours, but all of the ones in the blog and elsewhere, really are catalysts, whilst, you know, that funny question we started with is, you know, can film solve the problems in the world? Right? Well, no. But if it can make us aware of the problems, it can be catalytic and create a drive for action and in so doing be by proxy quite effective. So we do hope it has that knock on effect. So there is a research work going in. Can this film, our film, affect 
audiences around the cost of living crises and what can we say about that. We've got some research ongoing. We're going to do some journal articles dealing with that audience data for sure. Yeah. Um, what was we were just talking before we came on the, about the hardest thing about making this <laughs> film um, and, and what difficulties we've kind of encountered in, in putting it together? Yeah, I mean, there have been a few uh, difficulties, of course. Um, I think really one of the hardest things was um, looking at the YFA and saying, oh, God, we've got this ton of footage. How do we build it? But Andy and Graham have sort of done that for us in such an effective way. It could have been really difficult, but it wasn't. But I really think the hardest thing has been that political message. Because clearly for Lauren, yourself and and me, um, we have a pretty clear political bent towards what we wanted with this film. Um, and it's not damning in any way. It's not, this is your fault, this is their fault, this is our fault, what have you. It's more, look at what's happened. And I think we did discuss the Churchill quote about if we don't learn from our past, we're doomed to repeat it. And that, for the three of us at least, was a bit of a driver saying that's what we want the film to do. But certainly the film does, it looks at both governments as it were, not that there are only two, but it's got a Labour government and a Conservative government throughout because it's covered footage over so many years. So it doesn't point the finger at one, but trying to do it in a way that isn't preachy uh, nor too politicised. And obviously our external partners have vested interests as well. Do you want to speak a bit more about what we kind of came across? Well, yeah, well, it's, it's the opening of the film, isn't it? I don't want to, I don't want to give spoilers away oh, for yeah. anybody because we it. do want them to, to <laughs> see the film. Hopefully at a film festival over the next couple of years. Do fill in our survey, please. <laughs> um, it's the opening of the film, isn't it? That mm. it's a bit sort of... Uh, class bias it's a bit on the nose maybe um uh there's certain kind of uh rp accents that uh a little bit patronizing um this certainly comes back later in the film of course doesn't it that Mm. uh um you can save money by simply changing your light bulbs and and somehow you'll be wealthy it's Uh, not our fault it resonates so much with the the recent government because you know (laughs) <laughs> we didn't ask them to tell us to buy a kettle that was more energy efficient. Yeah. And of, of course, it's been made in that environment. It's been made in, in a sort of, I guess, kind of zeitgeist that just picks up on those things. And you mm. can't help but see resonances between now and the footage that was in the archive that's now in the film. And of course, that's, that's part of filmmaking, that you want it, we're not really making a film about the 1970s or 1980s or any of the periods that are reflected in the film. We're making a film about now. We're making a film about uh, what's happening now, what's impacting people in their lives. And I think what is strongest in the film for me is that the voices that come through the film are the voices screaming for change. Yeah. And we keep hearing those voices at the moment. Absolutely. And let's not forget there once was a question mark at the end of the title. There uh, was. I mean, we had a very long decision, uh, um, discussion about the, the yeah. title, didn't we? Before settling on cost of living with not the cost of living or cost of living question mark. Mm. You know, what was going to be too leading is the cost of living, you know, the sense that this is just the cost of living. It's what yeah. we have to put up with. Um, but cost of living has that that relationship with now and doomed to repeat was a yeah. was a proposed title as well. We had all kinds of revolting conditions. That's a good one. Because uh, there's a there's a cameo in the film from uh, um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, talking about those kind of things. So um, that was that was that was that was a tricky discussion. Mm. But there is a there's a there's a political perspective in there. But I think 
for those who would watch the film, you know, the sort of true protagonists of the film are the, the, the individuals. Yeah. In well, the... That's it, isn't it? I mean, the film is a, is a question. It was for us. It mm. should be, is this the cost of living? Was this the cost of living? Should this be the cost of living? Yeah. So cost of living encapsulates and encompasses all of those things. And we want the film to not ask questions, but catalyze audiences to ask questions. And so, you know, it, it needs to be polemic. It needs to be... I don't know, spiky. It needs to have that yeah. kind of uh, bumpy road feeling. And, and I, there is no answer in the film. Like I've already said, I, I wish I did have the answer. But the film says this is what's happened before. And the un, unspoken statement is, and it never stopped happening. So what do we do about it? I mean, and I don't think the answer is let's just watch more films because no. whilst it's fun, it's not necessarily powerful but those people calling for change we've got footage of process take back the night we've got students um protesting the student fees and the loans we've got families protesting the closure of nurseries and the closure of parks and the closure of libraries we've got um people on widows pensions protesting the cost of groceries and stuff but that protest was a big um kind of part of the film for us that demand change and every day those protests get stronger inside mm. here um that make the film more resonant yeah um, so I'm conscious we're sort of uh, going on about uh, I think we must be on about 45 minutes so. <laughs> um, uh, although we may not be 45 minutes so we should probably cut that bit <laughs> um, so um, the film is hopefully going to be playing regional festivals um, we've, we've, we've looked at uh, particularly industrial cities we want to get it out across uh, across England and Wales um, initially, and we might look at some festivals more internationally. Um, we're really interested in regional distinctions and responses to the film. We're interested in uh, cross-sectional, intersectional responses to the film um, to understand how different audiences are responding um, to it. And I think one of the things that we um, are also interested in is the way that the film portrays the gaps that have come from the archive we had long conversations about how certain voices are louder, um, but the footage led us to certain kinds of characters um, and how, how we made that work. So we're really interested in how, uh, how those things come back from audiences and how they feel and how those aspects uh, resonate that maybe we could have heard from other people, maybe we yeah. could have heard from different people, maybe we could have um, heard from a, a, a wider cross-section um, I hope it makes some people angry. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't. I hope they're already angry and the <laughs> film taps into that anger. Yeah. What's really interesting, you mentioned regionality, and I think maybe we'll, we'll call this one of the final points, but I'm really interested in its geographical spirit, in a sense, because certainly the sign funding that we got, the Screen Industry Growth Network, is particularly interested in Yorkshire and the region, and the Yorkshire Film Archive. Mm -hmm. No surprise, interested in Yorkshire in the region and the Northeast Film Archives too, uh, Yorkshire and the Northeast. But obviously, one of the things we've seen when we have shown it to people is people talking about how they see themselves in the film. Or, oh, that's like my family. That's where I grew up. I know that place. I know those people. I know that spirit. I'm interested in this outside of Yorkshire and the Northeast. It showed in Manchester and it went down really well. But as you say, it's, it's the North. It's yeah, very northern industrial. Post-industrial. Yeah. yeah. So there's a there's a kind of real similarity there. I'd love to see how it plays in, in the South. I'd love to see how it plays internationally. One of the yeah. things I looked at recently was the Festival Dinard in uh, France, which is 
Festival of British Cinema Culture. They give off the uh, the award is uh, the Hitchcock Door, the Golden Hitchcock Award, which I think is sort of funny. Not not that we'd win, but um, the idea that they celebrate British culture, I wonder how that would work. And then finally, with our kind of educational bent on things as well, looking at it as an educational tool, does it play the same in France as it does in the UK as a tool for education? Or do we need to look for places that are socioeconomically similar to our country? How geolocked almost is it to our region yeah. and that's going to be a part of the research as well because the kind of universality or lack thereof is going to be an interesting question yeah as well as there's always sort of the kind of grim up north um <laughs> stereotype um that I mean, is there in the film it's yeah. it's northern and the conditions are revolting as uh, um uh, martin luther king describes them so let's wrap up then so How's how's this project going to grow? How how are we going to determine how it has impact? It's going to be data analysis, which is not particularly all that exciting, I don't think. So there's going to be some academic output. But really, I mean, um, it's going to have so many more outcomes than that. One of the outcomes is, can film have impact? I don't think we're really going to be able to definitively say, oh, look, yes, it can. Um, I mean, we can say that in a sense, but it's not going to be, we've answered the question, we've fixed it. But we're going to find out how our film can have impact. I think one of the important things is going to be pairing it with a feature. And one of the questions we're going to ask academically in our research work is, populist texts, how do they fit here? So there's an important thing about, yes, it's a 16, 15 and a bit minute experimental, not quite documentary, not quite poetry, short film archive curation thing. Um, who's going to watch that kind of stuff? Wear it on the television, would people click it on? Wear it showing at the cinema, would people elect to view it? Perhaps not. So where does this bump into feature cinema? Where does it bump into a rocks or a fish tank or a Daniel Blake, that kind of stuff? Um, can it affect change in that sense? We like the idea, therefore, in exploring this kind of approach to a longer piece of film, um, something where we could film stuff that's missing, as it were. You mentioned, you know, it'd be great if we had a bit for the film about X. Oh, wait, well, there's nothing like that in the archive, so it's not going in. Well, if we did something more creative, not that this isn't creative, but I mean creative fiction, um, we could write something in there, collaborating with filmmakers, um, that kind of thing is going to be a kind of a big growth stage, but it's quite long term, I think, really. And I think in terms of education, it's going to grow through resource. Our film will become one of those resources that people can use as an educational tool. Our film is going is being picked up by the uh, Interfilm people to be put on that Interfilm Plus educational platform. They do a spring screening series where they show films to students. Um, we're going to be putting that. Um, showcase they want to show our film and they've also said we can show it alongside features and we can curate that ourselves and we can discuss it so that's going to be a next kind of step for us as well and at the minute i think we're really interested in trying to find some answers to those questions let's get people to see it what do you think steve well i mean it started with a, a, a fairly simple thing is let's get kids into film yeah um into film in a, a different sense because we, we we live in a video saturated con um culture um, young people are watching a lot of video, um, awful lot of YouTube, TikTok, that kind of thing. Um, and while those have their place in terms of thinking about media and social justice, um, this is more specifically about cinema, film. So if if it's a, a a step to exploring film, understanding film, studying film, making film. That's that's really the the initial impact we thought about, wasn't it? That 
um, either of those kids might go on to study film at university, um, might study other things, but continue to make things that point towards a kind of cultural industries career. Because while we are talking about um, maligned academic disciplines, we in some sense feed one of the most vibrant economic sectors of, of, of Britain um, that is that is booming. And it, it, it's, it's not just about big Marvel productions coming here, it's about all kinds of production coming into the country um, or originating from um, people in our culture. Um, so I think that's, that's a big step if we can, whether we can capture that as part of research, um, mm. that's possibly uh, trickier because it's uh, it's it's a long-term tracking thing um, but if we can inspire uh, that that would be great um, and if we can I don't think we need to get people talking about the cost of living um, but if we can understand how film can trigger or um, stimulate different kinds of thoughts and different responses to that um, and how we how we remember it how we refer back to the past to talk about today um i don't think we'll come up with any solutions in how we break cycles of boom and bust i think that's baked into our uh, capitalist economy until we tear the whole thing down um i don't think we're in the death throes of capitalism quite yet um you know fingers crossed but um you know those those are the things we want to stimulate from the film and given it's a 15 minute sort of quick injection of those issues rather than a longer kind of emotional trajectory of a, of a feature um, I think is 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 kind of more um, on the nose in terms of, of, of capturing that so that's that's it for me you know we mm. started with uh, a relatively limited goal in terms of engagement um, I think you know props to Graham and Andy <laughs> again the film is so good so thought-provoking so infuriating I mean infuriating in a very positive <laughs> and negative sense yeah. um you know the film makes me angry because the film shouldn't exist yeah shouldn't um, have to but here we are again um so why and we're you know some of the people in the film you know will still be alive will be the adults now experiencing this um mm. this government and this uh this crisis um so that's a really interesting but also infuriating aspect yeah. of it for me but with the film getting the film out to audiences will be really exciting in terms of um the impact that mm -hmm. it, it's able to have i think it's a call to arms isn't it in the sense that you said people demanding change let's hope more people do that yeah but these people demanded change well and look yeah. where we are <laughs> maybe yeah well um, how does how does change become change yeah um, and not just a prolonged system in which somebody can destroy the economy but still take away tens of thousands of pounds to heat his stables. <laughs> not think of anybody in particular. No, certainly not. No, not at all. Um, so I think that, that brings us to a close now. I think that's a, Such a positive a message to end us, with. Um, to go with. This is a really exciting project. This is a really exciting uh, moment for the film where kind of waiting for those festivals to come back to us and, and see whether we're, excited, uh, whether we're accepted or not. That's genuinely exciting from a kind of film perspective, but really ultimately in terms of cinema and social justice, it's whether we can get the film out to audiences to try to stimulate the thought that might stimulate 
um, future activities. Mm. Uh, they might be on a small level, but um, small things build up to big things. They, that, that they do. Well, thanks for having us on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, and and thanks to everybody out there uh, for listening. Um, should say, you know, again, big thanks to to Graham uh, Relton who produced Cost of Living and Andy Burns who did such an amazing job editing it. Um, and also, finally, let's uh, let's mention Lauren Stevenson, Dr. Lauren Stevenson, who yeah. uh, unfortunately is ill today and couldn't join us. So she'll be she'll probably be home on the sofa watching horror films. So. <laughs> um, so uh, Thank you to the ISJ for having us. Thank you to uh, Professor Matthew Reason for inviting us to do this. Thank you to Lily, our producer, uh, and to John Brown for uh, producing the podcast. Um, I'm Steve Rawl. I've been with Martin Hall. Um, thank you. <laughs>